is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. So one of the things that I feel like we talk about a lot on this show are things that really make me angry or upset and they don't really have a good conclusion. True. There's a lot to bum us out right now. Yes. <laughs> but luckily, this is not one of those things. This is a story of a fight for justice and fairness and equality that ends with a very happy ending. So victory. N- victory. This is a victory story. What's it about, Bridget? It is about hockey. Mm-hmm. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, is it the story of how a scrappy upstart hockey team beat <laughs> the like villains a la right. Mighty Ducks? Quack. Quack, quack, quack. I love it. We need a Lady Mighty Ducks. Yeah, that would be a good, like, reboot. Take note, take note, women's hockey peeps. Call us. We'll write it for you if you want. (laughs) So basically, this is a story of how the Women's Hockey League, the National Women's Hockey League of the United States, fought and won for pay equality. Woohoo! So something that we should say is that Pay equality in sports is not something that is is normalized, unfortunately. It's really bad, actually. Um, and I feel like pay equality, obviously, in this country writ large, is not illegal. Uh, right. You know, it's not a law of the land. We, you can get away with not paying women equally for equal work, which is awful. Um, but it's not the law of the land yet. And I think, you know, what I think is so great about how these athletes sort of framed that is they connected it totally to sort of larger issues of women being mistreated and and not being compensated fairly in general. So it's not just, Mm -hmm. you know, pay athletes better because we're great and we deserve pay, although they are great. Super great. They've been great. I mean, these are women, the National Women's Hockey League, come to find out. I know you've all been watching the sport religiously. But uh, in catching up myself, uh, it turns out that they've won seven global titles, isn't it? They're international titles and and championships right. of the past eight years. So they've they've won, it's their seventh world title that they've won in eight years now. So this is a team that's been kicking major ass for years. And yet, what was what was their pay situation like? Their pay situation was janky. <laughs> was not good at all. So basically these amazingly talented, successful athletes we're only getting paid a thousand dollars a month in the six month lead up to the Olympics, which is not a lot of money at all. It's like if you have a, an annual conference that you're preparing for, or once every four years you have a big conference that you need to speak at to present your work to your industry. If you were only getting paid once every four years in the six month period leading up to that conference, that's actually what it's like to be a professional woman on the hockey ice in this country. Like, you literally obviously have to practice. Right. You have that to practice, entire time. train. Like, and that's another thing. These women were not getting paid the immense amount of time they spent training, practicing things like being, you know, paid event or not paid events. Paid speakers. Like yeah, they, they weren't getting yeah. paid or compensated for the time that they spent promoting the team at events and things like that. But the men were. And so... In fairness, um, their overarching um, organization, USA Hockey, did offer to bump that amount from $1,000 a month to $3,000 a month. But that's still not a lot of money if you are, you know, a, an athlete at the top of your game. And it's certainly not what the men were being were being paid. So it's just not, not fair. Well, it's such a good lesson in negotiation and labor disputes. I think the organizers in us, B and I here, like, are just so riled up by this concept of, 
Okay, the women's hockey team made it very clear to USA Hockey what they needed to be sustainable in their roles and what they needed to change to feel equally valued. And we're going to go into great detail on like exactly what their demands were in a second. But to silence them and try to put this negotiation to bed, they offered to take that BS frame that they'd already established, which is we'll pay you once every four years for six months. Which is already no which good. Is like, what? I just can't even believe that was how they dealt with hockey players writ large and said, we'll bump that up times three. And the women were smart enough to say, no, 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 we need to revisit this structurally because to back up also, they were paying the men only for those six months leading up to the Olympics. But those men were making like seven figure salaries in what most Americans know of as professional hockey, the NHL. Right. And these female athletes didn't, don't have that, that choice. So if you're right. a, a woman who plays hockey, you know, at that level in the United States, you unfortunately don't have the NHL to go to for the rest of the time when right. you're playing to make those, to make money like that. And on top of that, you know, hockey, just like any sport, is physically demanding. If you right. get hurt, something happens to your body. If you're not making enough money, like, it sounds like a lot of these players were not able to, you know, make basic financial, have basic financial comforts like paying your rent comfortably. Right. If you get hurt, you're kind of like out of luck. And so that's another reason why it sort of bakes inequality and bakes unfairness into the structure of the, of right. the sport. So... Not to play devil's advocate because nobody likes that game. Uh But there is a part of me as a businesswoman who also looks at the situation when it comes to commercial sports Mm -hmm. and what American audiences will watch. And it makes me want to say, like, you know what the critics would say here is, well, of course, there's no NHL for women's hockey because no one would go to those games. And so why should we, Bridget, like have to overcompensate when the market bears out more right. of a value for male athletes in the NHL. So, like, how do you even begin unpacking that? Well, I think that's a great point. <laughs> but I also think, I mean, it's not about... I, I think that's... I've heard that argument a lot. Right. You know, the thing where it's like, oh, who would want... Like, women basketball players that can't even dunk, like, why would you want to watch it? And it's like, no, they have good fundamentals. Well, TBD, I grew up 20 minutes outside of UConn, and <laughs> the women's Huskies are like... The women's Husky team, the basketball team there is so much more popular in many yes, ways so than the men's team. Exactly. Like, give them a platform, right? Right. And I went to University of Maryland College Park where our our female basketball team is like, their world champions right. are so good. Like they've won many, many championships. And, you know, it's what's sad is that you can't give those tickets away. Even though they're very, they're very successful, people aren't going when they go to the right. men's team, which is less right. successful. Um, and I also think it's about, and, and I, I love that the players, you know, acknowledge this. It's about how we've been taught to think about women athletes. And so one of the disputes in their, in their negotiations was that they wanted for USA hockey to put the same amount of financial interest that they do in developing youth programs for, for young male players as they do with female players. And so, you know, USA hockey spends about $3.5 million per year on developing boys hockey programs. Now, they didn't actually disclose how much they spend on the programs for young women, but they said like, oh, we're really proud of our program, blah, 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 which to me is like, oh, you don't want to say it because it's probably nothing, right? Right. Um, And so I think it's things like that that will ultimately help it so that, you know, exactly, so that people don't immediately think like, women hockey players, who's going to watch that, right? right? Like, if we raise up a, you know, a generation of young women who believe that playing, you know, professional sports is mm-hmm. cool and a thing they can do and a thing that will be respected that I think 
that's really the thing that, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll solve that or we'll speak to that problem. I also think the argument is null. <laughs> the argument is non, it's not even applicable to say we should be able to pay you far less than a living wage. Although that's not quite where they're at, but right. we should be able to pay you this garbage wage once every four years because the men can take this because they're taking money in the seven figures elsewhere. Like the presupposition that you should have outside income that makes paying you this less of an income or this small of an income, this little of an income viable for you doesn't matter. Like right. at the end of the day, it's an employer employee situation. And if you're not bringing to the table the kind of value to keep your players sustainable, you're not setting them up for success. And that's all they were asking for. Right. And I think that's exactly right. Right. Like they basically were saying, here is what we need to be successful at our jobs. Right. We're your employees. We have a, it's mutually, mutually beneficial, beneficial for us to do a good job on the other. Here's what we need to make that happen. And I right. think it's completely BS for USA Hockey to be like, well, the we guys ex- can do it. Right. Like we expect you to be great. We're going to give you less than you need to be great, but you better be great. This doesn't work that way. Yeah. And also they are great. So we're going to exactly. pay you less than what the, like we're going to pay you so little and keep the expectations so high. And it's just there are like the fact that there aren't outside opportunities for them to make money like right. the men do shouldn't shouldn't reduce the value that that employer places on your work. At, they're great at their jobs just because, you know, we live in a society that that does not like has not historically valued their jobs the same way as they would a man does not. It's not their fault. Right. They shouldn't be you know, penalized for that. And a lot of times we've seen in other sports, we've seen the argument say, well, that's why we pay women less is because they bring in less revenue. Is that true? But the perfect exception to that rule that would prove that theory, you know, invalid is the fact that even though historically the U.S. men's soccer team has been bringing in more revenue, in 2015, the U.S. soccer team with the women, the U.S. women's soccer team, not only brought home the championship and is arguably higher performing than the current U.S. male soccer team, um, but they brought in more money too. And still, they were making the case. They had to argue and and really push for pay right. equality in the same way that the NWHL is doing. So it's not that all of a sudden your pay should be linked to your revenue generating capacities. You know, what? how do you value and treat your workers has to be based on what you value their work at, plain right. and simple. Exactly. I think it's even absurd to be talking about this because they're so great, right? Like this idea that like they can't bring in the money, they can't do that. Like, it just, for me, it's like when you watch these players play, it would be like talking about Serena Williams, who's like one of my heroes. Right. And talking about, talking about her in any way other than like she's amazing and great <laughs> and deserves whatever she's getting deserves more. Right. Like to me is so absurd. So I want to bring it back and talk a little bit about what these players were demanding because they made their demands so clear. And I think it's a great case study for how we can advocate for ourselves on the job. But we'll do that after a quick break. So we were talking about how these women hockey players did such a great job of advocating for themselves and, you know, pay equality. And so one of the things I think they did exactly right was really spelling out exactly what it is they want. and Which is like 101 how to organize a labor strike. Totally. Right? It's like how to make it clear when you're having a labor dispute exactly what you need from your employer to be willing to move forward, which is a risky, scary proposition. It is risky because, you know, I, I've actually been involved in labor disputes where 
you lay out something and they're like, no. And then it's like, right. okay, well, great. Like, <laughs> And these are women who don't have a lot of savings. They don't have a lot of savings. And I think it's important to keep coming back to this are not in a place where they can make, you know. Real money. Right. Like Period. they're not financially, they don't sound financially comfortable. Put it because that way. they haven't been put in a position to be right. comfortable. So what were they asking for? They were asking for sixty a $68,000 base salary, which is basically the same treatment that the men get. Uh-huh. Um, they wanted the same kind of perks for the job that the male players get, which include things like the ability to bring a guest to their competitions, which, side note, that seems so basic. Easy, yes. Like, right? if you were a hockey player, it's like, oh, can my parents come see me play? No. no. That's... <laughs> How disrespectful, right? It's so it's like dehumanizing. It's very disrespectful. And like imagine if your they daughter was one, playing in like the biggest, you know, the like the highest level of hockey right. that you possibly can. And in you, this can, country. you don't even get the option to go see her because she well, was, you is do, a woman. but they want to make a buck off of you. <sighs> That's so messed awful. Up. And then beyond that, they also asked for business class airfare, which, as a former college athlete who has seen the kind of leg cramps that my former colleagues and teammates would get because we were crammed into little vans. And then we finally had to make the case, like, we are not cramming our team into a tiny little van. We are getting a bus, dang it, because we need to actually have the room to not have leg cramps when you're a professional athlete. I can only imagine how much more so that's it just That's a completely, like, reasonable thing. Reasonable thing. It's not like business class for the cocktails. It's like business class because your body is part of your profession. Right. And you need to keep it, you know, fine-tuned. Yeah. Um, they also wanted disability insurance, which again, like when you're doing something physical, to me that just seems like such a no-brainer. It's no-brainer. so it's so reasonable. Um and then they also wanted things like uh child care and maternity leave and the ability to compete in more games throughout the year. And so um I think what's interesting about that is that like one, it makes sense that why, you know, female athletes would be advocating for things like uh, maternity leave, but hopefully this means that the male players will be getting, uh, paternity, paternity leave. Because right. as, as we've sort of unpacked in an earlier episode, like the ability to take care of your kids and, is, is not just a woman's, you know, it's not just right. women's work. It's, right. If you're a parent, like everybody deserves to be able to parent their children. Oh my gosh. You know what this makes me think of is, uh, you've already raised Serena Williams here and the news that just came out around the fact that she was pregnant. Oh yes. During her championship match, like during her like match of a lifetime, which of course she crushed it and won. Because she's Serena Williams. Because she's the goat, best athlete ever. Greatest of all yeah, time. Great, total goat. And so imagine being an athlete. That is your job. That's how you make ends meet. That is your profession. And you have to choose when to get pregnant. Or you accidentally get pregnant right. or surprise you're pregnant. I mean, not having the basic capacity to leave, to like not put your unborn child in harm's way when your work is that physical. Right. And also to know that your job's going to be there when you come back. I mean, that's like a career ender. Yeah. What's interesting about that is that um, the whole Serena Williams, I mean, first of yeah. all, I think that like the fact that she was able to, you know, crush it at a competition like that while while pregnant is so great but it really highlighted something that I that I didn't know as someone that's not a parent which is that people who become pregnant there's such a wide variety of like physical things that you yeah. can do so I don't might completely exhausted right or- like my cousin was like oh like I slept every night on our on the, on the couch downstairs because I physically could not make myself climb the stairs to get into my bed so I just slept on the couch every day of my pregnancy and some women are like yeah like I could probably, you know, go for a run or do something physical and right. it wouldn't be that big of a deal. So I found it very interesting that that revealed this like 
large, you know, yeah. large capacity. Wide, that- wide spectrum of, especially that first trimester. Right. Right. We should do an episode on like Ooh. trimester by trimester. Yeah. Because, I mean, I've heard women who are like physically ill and incapacitated from day one. But I mean, who cares, right? It's still an incredible feat. I don't care if she was right as rain. Right. Brad actually turned to me and he goes, see, no excuses. When you're pregnant, <laughs> I'm going to be like Venus Williams played in this championship match. Listen, you I'm can't not complain. Even... I'm like, no, that is the wrong conclusion to draw from this. Incorrect. Like, LOL, face bomb. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> oh, uh, hockey. Right? <laughs> this is like, don't get me started Same on Serena Williams. I'll talk oh, all day. Let's do an episode on um, her. She's amazing. How she's the best. And so another thing I love so much about what these women were, were after in their contract was the fact that they wanted to make sure they baked in this, this provision for, um, funding for girls youth hockey. Right. I have this theory that if you're a feminist, if you're a, a woman who is inspiring other women, it's really important to um, lift as you lift climb, as you climb which is right? A big thing. It's not about just you getting yours. It's about making sure those that come behind you get theirs too. And right. I think, you know, I'm just so happy to see that that was a big part of this dispute. And it really does. It's not just about, you know, this individual team of women. It's about the larger understanding of how we think about women and how we think about, you know, girls and how we think about the you know the society. Totally. And you know, lift as you climb is a big mantra of ours at Bossed Up that I've always really believed in because it's not about one woman being exceptionally great. It's about all women having the same opportunity as all men, right? That I think is such a cornerstone of feminism. I went to the National Museum of African American History and Culture and saw a banner that said lift as you climb. And I said, what? Like Little did I realize that that motto has been around for a long-ass time. A long time. All the way back from 1896, it was the motto of the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs, um, which was founded by, you know, really early feminists, like folks like Ida B. Wells as an organization for women. And I, I do, I think that motto is so key to sort of drive home that idea of, like, intersectionality among women, that it's not about one woman getting, Mm -hmm. you know, one job or one woman getting one good thing. It's about opportunity for all women. And I think the NHL or NWHL was so on point and thoughtful about how they were paving the way to make this not just a change that would serve them immediately, but paving the way for more women to rise up in the national hockey world. So I I think that's a really critical point. And we're going to talk through exactly how those needs and those demands were met or not met. You don't know yet. Uh, by, <laughs> Stay tuned. By the folks on the other end of the bargaining table when we come right back from this quick break. So like many labor disputes, this list of demands was not met immediately with great fanfare from the higher up. So management over at the USA Hockey Association uh, first really tried to get around um, meeting these demands until the the women on the hockey team actually said, listen, here are going to be the ramifications if you don't take our demands seriously. There was a huge game coming up. It's probably the biggest, uh, the, the most major tournament that they have. It's the ice, the International Ice Hockey Federation World Championship game, which mm-hmm. I know is a mouthful, but it's the <laughs> big, it's like the biggest tournament they have. 
And these players were like, you know, we're going to sit out this major game. It's not going to happen. And they've been having this labor dispute for since 2000. But this was the first time they had threatened to, you know, sit out and like boycott in this for way. 17 years? Yeah. They've been have wow. So they've been, they've been at it. They've tried everything. And this is an important lesson for those of us in the labor movement to remember that, you know, threats without action are not going to necessarily yield the right results. So they made it clear what they needed to continue. And then they said, listen, we're going to boycott our game. And they didn't just do it alone, did they? They didn't do it alone, which again, we like talk crap about men and the patriarchy a lot, but right. shout out to the men out there because not only did they get support from the Major League Baseball Players Association, but also the U.S. men's hockey team was reportedly planning on possibly sitting at this big championship game to support Two, the women. Which is such a great example of he for she, hashtag he for yeah. she, from Emma Watson's sort of UN conversation, but also, you know, broadening this issue to be about fairness, about basic fairness and equality. And it's not me, me, me. This is what I need and want. This is a, a value statement for all of us here at the USA Hockey Association about what we value and how we treat our workers. Totally. And they got the men on board and there were leaders in on the women's team who made it very clear that this is not about USA women's hockey. This is about equal pay for equal work. Right. And I think that that, that, you just underscored why I think this was a successful campaign yeah. is that um, the uh, U.S. women's team captain, Megan Duggan, she really, by underscoring the idea that this isn't about just this team, it's about fairness for the entire sport, she was able to really thwart USA Hockey's attempts to bring in scab players. And so when they were What's trying... What's a scab player? So a scab player is someone that if people are boycotting, you know, you bring in... This is a, a negative term for right. it, but you bring in a replacement player while someone contract else is... term, right? right? Like short-term contract to just get through the game that you need to get through without actually having to give your workers what they're asking for, which is traditionally a big part of how labor disputes um, go down. It's the whole idea of like, you might have heard the phrase, like, don't cross a picket line. Mm-hmm. It's that idea of saying, I know these workers are on strike, but I need a paycheck, so I'm just going to go work for the boss person. Right. Um, and be, that's a scab worker. So and who, they were recruiting. So they were recruiting, so dozens of players, children. dozens of high school, like, including high school players that's were crazy. saying, yeah, people reached out to me to see if I would play in this championship just to get them through the game. And I won't because it's, you it's know, about fairness. it's about fairness for the it's whole about sport. Solidarity. What a great example of like striking working. Totally. So total solidarity by making sure, and Dugan or Duggan reached out and made it really clear. She brought a lot of people to the table and said, this is more than, it's bigger than us. This is about, you know, standing up for workers everywhere. And she got people on board and she galvanized support. Um, and the whole team, you know, acted like a team about it. And that solidarity goes a long way. I love that you just said that because it really <laughs> is about teamwork. It like, is. I know it sounds kind of, you know, pie in the sky, but. It's, it's about, it's about, like, when you play a sport, it is about, you know, the team. And, like, she just drove home that message that, like, this is not about me. me right. This is about the entire, the entire unit. Um, and so, uh, luckily, this Three is, days before. Under the wire. Uh, like, down to the wire. You can just tell that they were like, ugh, we better we have, just, we have to make a deal. We have to figure this out, right? right? So, like, they were able to come up with a deal three days before this major tournament. And the players, luckily, they got what they were asking for. Mm-hmm. They... Snaps to them. <laughs> Snaps. We're snapping in the studio. So they ended up getting a four-year deal. 
And that deal really is, you know, it's not, it's a, it's a win for them. This deal includes the formation of the Women's High Performance Advisory Group to help advise women and girls uh, hockey at, at youth levels. It also involves um, providing female players with travel and insurance provisions um, that are equal to what the men get. And so again, I think it's so important that like they just wanted what was fair. They just wanted what their what their male counterparts are already getting. And this is on the heels of an agreement uh, that was already just struck this year in a totally different sport with squash between men and women in the squash federation? Question mark like whatever the <laughs> national squash. You know, hangout might be or squash squad, <laughs> whatever that is. Um, that is a sport where gender pay equality has been set in stone, right? An agreement was made and, this year. Yeah. And so, I mean, thinking about pay equality in sports, think about that. Like only this year in 2017 have we sort of normalized. Started to normalize. Right. I wouldn't even go that far. Right. right. Like that to me is. Just a sign of, I mean, this is great, but it's just a sign of how far it is right. that we have to come on this issue. And I would say the one shortfall of their agreement with the national, with the USA hockey is that it's a four year deal, right? This isn't set in stone. They can totally go back on their word in four years and hopefully it won't come to that. But this was a 17 year fight that yielded a four year solution. Jeez, when so, you put it that way. I, mean, I think that there's something to be said about making it set in stone that pay equality is what we're advocating for, not a contract. Right. Like across the board, right. a baked in deal that's, that's fair for all involved. Right. Um, and so what I, what I love is like the cherry on top of this yeah. like story of victory, a big victory for these women. What ended up happening with their, with their tournament that they, snuck through this deal and was able to play it. Right, down to the wire, three days of the four. It's April 2017, and the U.S. is in the final, you know, national, global, international championship right. round. Um, clearly, they have specific names for these rounds that I'm losing track <laughs> of, but you get the picture. Can you tell that we're not hockey it's a really big experts deal. here? It's a really big special game. It's the sport with the, with the puck, right? Yeah, that one. <laughs> So it's April 2017. They're fresh on the heels of victory. And people were freaking out. They were saying, do you think contract negotiations three days before your giant game is very good for the mindset of a player? Probably not. I can't imagine that it's good. You're like, your head's not really in the game if you're negotiating your contract. You know what I mean? Like right. Three days before big game day is when they finally put the ink was drying on their contract. And, of course, like true, badass, fierce, boss athletes that they are, the U.S. defeated Canada in the gold medal game 3-2 to two after overtime, winning, oh, you know, just a casual eighth title. Woo! So, yay! Go USA. I think we need to add in a clap sound there, right? We need, like, a clap effect. Um, I think it's just a, a good sort of moral of the story here is that they can win it in the boardroom and win it on, in, the, ice. on the ice. Oh, I love that. Winning in the boardroom and on the, on the ice. ice. Yes. Love it. I love it. I think that's such a good lesson for women everywhere when it comes to doing your job well and also taking care of your business. Like, no one's going to advocate for you except you. And sometimes it might even come down to a total labor dispute, a well-executed strike, widening the issue to ask for other stakeholders to help back you up when needed. You know, talking to the workers who are you know, being brought in behind your back or threatened to brought in, be brought in behind your back. And then you can still do your job. You can still do your job. And crush it. And crush it, even while you're busy advocating for what you need to be sustainable in crushing it. I love it. And I think another good takeaway from this awesome campaign is this idea that 
you don't have to let this like let an awful precedent stop you from advocating for what right. you want, right? Like this has been they've the been, way it is for seventeen right. plus years. Like, I can imagine being like, oh well, if you want to be a a woman, you know, hockey player, you just have to deal with mm-hmm. this, you know, this 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 is this, this is how, how it works. is, yeah. And not not really not letting that stop you from going after what you want. I hear that all the time at Boss Stop with women I'm working with who say, well, no, actually, we can't do that in my special snowflake of an office because. In my workplace, we can't, you know, we can't have those conversations. We can't ask for what we want. And I'm like, listen, no one's going to roll out the red carpet for you to demand what you need. And if anything, people are going to make it hard. Like they're invested in you believing like, that, yeah, that you know, you're powerless and that nothing can change. Yeah. And what's that quote? The biggest way that we give away our power is by Thinking believing we don't we have, don't have any. any. Yeah. Who said and that? I want to say Alice Walker. Yes, definitely yes. Alice Walker. Yes, nice work. Um, thank you. Feminist studies Woo. for the win. <laughs> <laughs> if that was a sport, if feminist studies was a, was a sport, you'd be the champion. I would win. I love it. I'd take home the gold. You would be the uh, Serena. Why not even say? <laughs> oh, the Serena Williams of feminist of women's studies. Yeah, <laughs> feminism. Uh, full contact feminism coming to a podcast near you. <laughs> I love oh, it. I love it. All right, listeners. Well, we hope that you enjoyed learning about this story or hearing again our interpretation, our creative interpretation of this story as much as we loved researching it. And uh, let's all give some major well-deserved snaps to the women of the NWHL. Get your tickets today. Sign up for their email list and go support women athletes advocating for themselves and kicking ass in their uh, in their athletic endeavors. We want to hear from you, of course, on this topic. What did you think about how they managed to work their negotiation angle? Do you feel like they took us too far? Do you feel like boycotting their championship game was the right move? Was the wrong move? It was undoubtedly a risky move. Um, but make sure to send us your thoughts right into our lovely inbox. We can't wait to hear from you at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And uh, Bridget, where can they chat with us on social? If you've got pictures of you at a hockey game or maybe, you or know. little nieces Yeah, we, we want to see all of them. Please tag us on the gram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. And you can tweet at us at Mom Stuff Podcast. Mm-hmm.